This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Romans, the eighth chapter. I'm just reading a couple of verses together. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What are this world's values? Who are its heroes? Who does this world applaud? Who or what are its icons? Some soap star. The next big brother winner. In America, a former athlete declared himself to be a woman. And lo and behold, he was voted Woman of the Year. Former boxing promoter in Britain. He too decided that after all these years, he was going to become a woman also. So he put his wig on, gave himself a lady's name, and he was lauded as brave and courageous. Soaps, the ratings go through the roof when they introduce a villain or a cross-dresser or some thoroughly nasty womanizer or somebody of that elk. Did you ever notice how actors, when they're interviewed, always say, I love to play the body. Those are the best parts. <laughs> so this world doesn't really place much value on virtue or decency or monogamy or integrity or purity. They're always forever pushing the envelope of decency and morality, aren't they? Actually, they love the things that God hates, and they hate the things that God loves. Never applauds God's standards. No wonder the Bible writer says that the things of this world are enmity against God. Samuel the prophet said that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We assess actions, God assesses motives. Today I want to talk about character. Character. It's very, very important to God. It is absolutely vital for us. To God, that character is much more important than gifting. It's more important than what we do. God is more interested in what we are becoming than what we are doing. He truly is. In fact, character is more important than any anointing. So I want you to see something here in Romans 8, 14 to 17 that we read together. Verse 14, Paul talks about the sons of God. But in verse 16, he talks about the children of God. And he gives two very different words for this. For the sons of God, he uses the word huios, H-U-I-O-S, huios. And for the word children of God, it's taknon, T-E-K-N-O-N, taknon. And taknon means the children of God, the spiritual children of God, those who are gods by the new birth. But huios means those who are led by the Spirit of God, those who display the nature and character of God, those who are God's sons and God's daughters, but they act as if they are. It is evident that that is what they are. 
So verse 16, children, tachnon refers to spiritual birth. But verse 14, sons, huios, refers to spiritual character. And there's a difference, isn't there? Children here refers to membership of God's family. Sons here, remember, remember is about the maturity in God's family. Family status, well, that's just something you're born with, isn't it? You cannot help who you were born into, what family you were born into. Nothing to do with you. But your character, how you develop, how you conduct your life is your responsibility. That's your character that you build. Samson had great power. He had great charisma. He had a powerful anointing. He had supernatural strength. I read recently where they found what they believe are the gates of Gaza. Very, very heavy brass gates. And Samson was able to lift, lift such things and put them on his back and run up a hill. But it wasn't natural power, it was supernatural power. So he had all of that. He had the choice and the pick of any woman he wanted. He was highly attractive as a male individual, apart from the fact that he had this great power that he displayed very often. But the problem was his character. It wasn't his charisma, it wasn't his power, it wasn't his anointing. It was his character that let him down. He had a flaw in his character. James and John, disciples of Christ, in the early days... They too had power, but they didn't have much temperament. Remember Jesus decided that he was going to go from Galilee to Jerusalem, which meant they would have to, unless they would take a big, big, long detour, they'd have to cut through Samaria. Uh, and they came to a certain Samaritan village. And the Samaritans realized they were heading to Jerusalem, and, and they resisted them because there was enmity between them. And James and John says, hey, let us call fire down from heaven and burn them up. And they truly meant that. And they really believed that they could do that. After all, Elijah did it. Why not them? And Jesus says, you know not what spirit you're of. Son of man came to save men's lives. You want to destroy them? Their temperament was all wrong. He called them sons of thunder. He nicknamed them, Bone Urges, sons of thunder. So you can guess what type they were in the early days. They must have had volcanic tempers at times. And yet Jesus, the creator of the universe, was humble enough to bend down and wash his disciples' feet. He had all of that power that he created the universe, but yet he was lowly enough to wash his creature's feet. What a difference in character. Joseph, he had both purity and character. He must have also been very attractive. Potiphar's wife desired him greatly and was unrelenting in her attempts to get him in to her bed. But he had purity and he had character and he resisted and he resisted and he resisted and he ended up in prison for it. Over the years... We have seen many great men and women of God, highly gifted individuals, tremendously anointed, prophetic, talented, great communicators, and yet they fell. And it wasn't because of their gifting or their anointing or their charisma. That didn't fail them. Almost without exception, it was character. Something went wrong in their character. It wings like eagles, but they had feet of clay. They didn't fall because of their outward signs, 
They fell because of their inward values, their inner values. The Apostle Paul warns all of us when he writes in Romans 10, 12, he says, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. And so we need to be very, very careful about our character because that's the thing that could trip us up in the end, isn't it? You could have all the gifting and all the anointing and all of the blessing and all the ability and all the talent, you've and everything. Wonderful as it is. But it's that character flaw that can cause us to feel. And so God treats character very, very, as something that's very, very important to him and it's something that's absolutely vital for us. But we need to pray and take our guard against it, don't we? Because there's not a one of us, without exception, could not fall if we do not take care of our character and if we don't keep building it and building it because we're going to be tested. We'll be tested at home. We'll be tested in the workplace. We'll be tested in the school. We'll be tested in our job. We'll be tested everywhere. So we need to build our character. How do we build our character? Well, very simply, first of all, through God's Word. Psalm 119, verse 104 and 105, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Verse 57 to 60 in Psalm 119. You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I will keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. Note this. I thought about my ways and I turned my feet to your testimonies. I thought about my ways and I turned my feet towards your testimonies. I was heading in the wrong direction. And I stopped and thought about where is this leading to? Where will I end up if I continue down this path? The psalmist is saying. Therefore, he says, I turn to your testimonies. I turn to your word. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. Psalm 119, the first uh, few verses of it. It's very instructive. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learned your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you, Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The psalmist, with all of his riches, with all of his gifting, and he was a highly gifted man, with all of the anointing he carried as a king, and in spite of all of that, he was a man who had character flaws. 
and realized it and understood that. How did he try to fight that? How did he try to build himself up in character? By taking heed according to your word. Psalm 119, Martin, when he was preaching a couple of weeks ago, brought it out very forcibly. Almost every verse is relating to the word of God. And so here's a man who continually brought himself back to the word of God to build himself up and thought about it and meditated upon it. And he didn't have near the word of God that we've got. Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and to the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and very intents of our heart. Nothing can prick us like the word of God. Nothing can show us and demonstrate to us how we ought to live like the Word of God. So how do we build character? Through the Word of God. How do we build character? Through faithfulness. Luke 16, 10 to 12, Jesus said in the teaching of a parable, he said, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful in what is much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Notice how he says again, he is faithful in that which is least. He who is unjust in that which is least. It's the little things. It's the small things. If we're not faithful in the little, we'll not be faithful in the much. If we're unjust in the little, we'll be unjust in the much. Little spot foxes spoil the vines, the Bible said, isn't it? It's the little things that build and build and build if we're not careful that we can stumble over. Then he goes on to say, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, the riches, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Ah, wait a minute. You just notice what Jesus said there? That our ordinary daily lives affects our spiritual standing. That's what he's just said. Read it again. If you have not been faithful in the righteous riches, who will commit to your trust the true riches, the spiritual riches? So in our daily lives, we need to have character and do the right thing because that will affect our spiritual lives. If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So we're tested even in how we handle other people's stuff and things, or employers. Hmm? This, this, is, this is in our daily, this gets right down to where we live every day. This is practical stuff. And Jesus said, if we can't be faithful in that, in that which is another man's, who's going to give you your own? 1 Corinthians 4 and 2, Paul says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found Faithful. Proverbs 25, 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. You know, if you've got an abscess under your tooth and you've got to bite down on something, the pain will send you through the roof, wouldn't it? You can't bite down on it. You can't lean on it. If you have a broken ankle, you can't put your foot down and lean on it. It's not fit for it at that point. And that's like an unfaithful man, the writer of the Proverbs said. Can't lean on him. Can't trust him. Can't depend on him. And God doesn't want, to be like, want us to be like that. He wants us to be faithful. And so the Bible has much to say about faithfulness. Much more to say than charisma or power or gifts or anointing or any of those things. Faithful. 
Are we faithful? This is building character. Third thing is through devotion. Through devotion. Devotion to Christ. Devotion to the things of God. Devotion to God's people. What are you devoted to? Who are you devoted to? What you're devoted to and who you're devoted to will determine your level of faithfulness. If you're married, are you devoted to your wife? Are you devoted to your husband? In the 48 years of marriage that Sonny and I has enjoyed, one of the reasons for that is because we are devoted. We're devoted. And because we're devoted, we're faithful. The thought of me or her running off with somebody else doesn't exist. It's not even a thought. It's not on the radar whatsoever. Why? Because I'm devoted to her. She's devoted to me. I'm faithful to her. She's faithful to me. It's the way that it works. Now, if we weren't devoted, that could be a different story. Very different story. As many, many people have discovered. And it's hurtful, and it's painful, and it's tragic. So who or what are you devoted to? Are you devoted to your family? Hmm. Are you devoted to your family? Does your children know that you love them, that you're there for them, that you would do anything to help them? Do they know that? Because that will stand them in great standing in the future as they grow up. To know that you deeply love them, that you are devoted to them, that they belong to you, and even if they go off track, as many do, you still love them and you're devoted to them. And you do everything to love them and to win them back again. That's faithfulness. Doesn't mean they have to be perfect, because we're not perfect as parents, but we're devoted. Are you devoted to the house of God? Is the house of God only somewhere you go if it's convenient, if you have time, if you fit it in, if you're in the mood, if you feel like it, if you do, if you don't, depending on how you get up in the morning, it's not devotion, it's not faithfulness. And churches suffer for lack of faithfulness. They do. Some people are much more faithful to their workplace than they are to the house of God. You know, people leave churches all the time. We're no exception. Can I say something to you? In the 36 years I've been here, and all the people that has come and gone, I could count in one hand how many people has actually ever came to me and said, I'm leaving. Now, you'd never think of doing that with your job, would you? Well, you just leave your job. You'd expect it to work a week's notice at least, wouldn't you? Will you just pull your children out of school without telling the authorities? No. So why do we think that churches, church should be a higher standard? But that's the reality of it. That's the truth of it. So we need to be faithful. Yes, we need to find a church that suits us. We need to find a church where we're content in. But having found that, then be faithful to that. And if God at some point in life should lead you on, fine. But at least have the courtesy to say that. <laughs> Just courtesy. We're talking here about character today. Character. So then we need to be careful who we're devoted to and what we're devoted to. And we need to make sure that who we're devoted to and what we're devoted to is right and good and godly and a blessing. 
that makes it easier to be faithful to. But thank God it doesn't have to be either charisma or character. It can be both. God can grace us with gifts. He can grace us with good character too. We keep working on it. We can have both talent and temperament, faith and good works. We have gifts and fruit, spirit and word, visions and values. It doesn't have to be one or the other. But I tell you, one can undermine the other. Greatly. Greatly. In 2 Kings 5, let me just remind you of uh, something here. Second Kings 5, it's the well-known story of Naaman the leper. Now Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. The Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus, saith the little girl who is from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel. Which said to be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may be you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he will show, he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood over at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean." But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not Urbana and far, far the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, his flesh was restored like a flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now note this. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon. Then when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. He said, Go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. But... Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Now here's a, a young man who has an exceptional 
position in life, being mentored by the great Elisha the prophet, at his side constantly, seeing mighty miracles. Here's somebody in waiting, but he's got a flaw in his character. When he saw the gold and the silver and all the beautiful clothes, it got into his heart. And he ran after it. He knew that Elisha had refused any of it. His anointing was not for sale. His gifting was not for sale. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman, his Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, remember Elisha said, As the Lord lives, I will take nothing. So he says, But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. And then he started to lie through his teeth. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, Please take two tablets. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants. And they carried them on ahead of him. And when he came to the citadel or to the fortress, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go and they departed. Now he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant did not go anywhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? You see, that's where his heart lay. Now, Naaman didn't offer him olive groves and sheep and all the rest of it, but that's what he really wanted in life. Even though he was a servant to Elisha, even though he was a prophet in the making, but his heart was lusting after the things of this world, and he couldn't wait to get his hands on them. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous, as white as snow. What a lesson. What opportunity. What potential. What a great chance. Every young man in Israel would have given his right arm to be in that position. And he blew it completely and utterly because he was chasing the wrong thing. Moses, in Numbers 12, he married an Ethiopian wife. And his big sister Miriam and big brother Aaron didn't like it. It's not necessarily because she was Ethiopian. But it seemed to be that because they were the eldest and perhaps Miriam because she was the one who looked out for him and he was just that little baby in the cradle going down the Nile and she was the one who went to Pharaoh's daughter and said do you want a Hebrew nurse to look after the child and so forth so maybe growing up even though Moses had been given this great position with God as the prophet of God as the leader of the people of Israel but you know in Exodus whenever she sang that great song when they came through the Red Sea the Bible calls her a prophetess so she was gifted, highly gifted. But they began to argue 
with Moses. And the Bible says Moses is the meekest man on the face of the earth. And they begin to say, well, well, I mean, God doesn't just talk to you, you know. I mean, he talks to us too. Moses never argued. Didn't argue. But God got angry with them. God got angry. They had their own anointing. I mean, Aaron was a high priest. She was a prophetess. They had their own gifting. They had their own anointing. But for some reason or other, they seemed to get jealous of his and his position. And God called the three of them aside and he spoke to them and he rebuked Miriam and Aaron. He rebuked them. And Miriam was struck with leprosy. And when that happened, Aaron immediately, immediately repented. Said, Lord, we have done a terrible thing. Please. The Lord says, okay, let her stay out of the camp for a week. Let this be a lesson to everybody that sees. And after a week, she was restored. But remember now, Aaron, he's the high priest. He's the one who's going to have to declare her leprosy and declare whether it's healed or not. And everybody knew then that Moses was the one that God had chosen. So there was a character flaw there. And even though Miriam seemed to get the brunt of it, but Aaron went along with it. He was the high priest. He should have known better, but he went along with it. And in Exodus 32... You see, the trouble is, if the character's not dealt with, uh, then it, it, it gets out of hand. Exodus 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, remember, he's up there receiving from God. When he delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, let us come, make us gods that, we shall, that shall go before us for us for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so here he is up the mountain. He's receiving from God for the whole nation. And they became impatient, complaining, murmuring. And they said to Aaron, let us make some gods here. Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, bring them to me. So all the people broke off their golden earrings, which were in their ears, brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Now, can you believe this? Can you believe that this man of God, a high priest of God, He's seen all the miracles of coming out of Egypt and the Red Sea, opening, all of that there. Here he is, after 40 days, he caves in to the demands of the murmurs and the complainers. So he made this molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Really? And they rose up early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink. And they rose up to play. Boy, they're far from reality here, aren't they? The Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that I'm in my wrath I may burn hot against them and may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation." 
So Moses pleaded with the Lord as God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self. You said to them, I multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land I have spoken of to give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from his harm which he said he would do to his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On the one side and the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Then Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted and he said to Moses there is noise of war in the camp but he said, this is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. And so it was as he came, soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the, on the water and made the children of Israel to drink it. Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they're set on evil. Now he's blaming. Here's the blame game. He's not responsible. Now he's going to blame everybody around. Look at that. You know the people, he said, for they are set on evil. For they said to me, Let us make gods that shall go before us as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. I cast it into the fire. And lo and behold, this calf came out. <laughs> As if Moses is going to believe that. What a liar. You see what happens when the character begins to slip? It's a downward path. And he'll do anything to save his skin here. Anything. He'll blame anybody but hold his hands up and say, it's my fault. If you were to read on in that story, you'll see that it cost, it cost the people much. There's a plague. There was death in the camp. Because one man, one man let his character feel. No wonder Paul says, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Peter had to build his character, didn't he? <clears throat> he had to build up his character. He was humbled to the dust. And Second Peter, chapter 1, <clears throat> Peter's writing, he says, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, in which we have... which. Sorry, in which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Did you see the words relating to character there? Virtue, love, all of those things that relates to character. Hmm. Peter had to build his character, and he did build it. With the help of the Holy Spirit, he became a man of great character. We're almost finished in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
1 Timothy 4, verse 12, let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Let no one despise your youth. You're a young man. But live in such a way that nobody will be able to point the finger. Let me tell you, it's not easy being a pastor. It really isn't. But to be a young pastor, a young man, it's even tougher. Because as you go on, you learn how to handle things. You gain experience. But when you're young, that's, the, that's really difficult. Because you haven't lived long. You're not mature. You're prone to mistakes. But Paul is saying to him, live in such a way that nobody will despise your youth. Get your character right. Then he says, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, by the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so, doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And then just over the page in Second Timothy 1. Verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying off of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, and so forth. Notice what he says, by the way, I should have read verse 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up. So what he's saying, hey, listen, you've got a good heritage. You've got good examples to follow. So follow those good examples and continue to stir up what God has put in you. But keep your character right. When 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the gifts of the Spirit, and 1 Corinthians 14 talks about the operation of the gifts of the spirits, Spirit. Then 1 Corinthians 13 in the middle talks about love. Amidst all the anointing and the charisma and the power and the talents and the abilities and the giftings, there's got to be character. That's the thing that keeps us on the right path. Finally, Romans 8 19 if we read this in the light of the word huios, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Those who act like the sons of God, those who live like the sons of God, those who have built their character and become mature sons of God, that's what this world is waiting to see. So let's play our part. D.L. Moody said, character is what you are in the dark. Another commented, true character is what we are when nobody's looking in the secret chambers of the heart. To paraphrase Ellen Witter Wilcox's poem, The Winds of Fate, one ship sails east, one ship sails west. Regardless of how the wind blows, it is the set of the sail and not the gale that determines the way we go. Hmm. So let's set our sail and have good character and be faithful. And God will take care of the rest. Because without that, we're going nowhere. 
Honestly, we're going nowhere without that. May look as if we are, but we're not. And let's be faithful because God honors it. It's for his glory, amen. Lord, would you help us by your spirit and by your word? Would you help us, Lord, to be mature men and women of God? Not to be children tossed about with every wind that comes across our path. But, Lord, that we're mature people of God. That we're faithful and stable (coughs) and devoted to that which is right and holy and good and biblical and scriptural. So we thank you, Lord, for every gift, for every grace, for every talent, for every ability, for every blessing. Help us, Lord, to be able to use them to honor you and to keep our lives honorable while we do it. Lord, there's none of us that's not capable of sinning and falling, so we need your grace. We need the strength of your spirit. We need the guidance of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.